This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Wow, what a show we have coming your way with so much breaking news after last night's off-year election. Rich Lowry, Bob the Hour from National Review to put it in perspective. And of course, we'll take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. You know, it was about, uh, it was, let me see, 10 months ago when President Biden took office and he would hold a narrow majority in the House. And a month later, he would get the Senate. And they said, wow, my goodness, how are the Republicans going to recover? And then January 6th happened, and they said, we're going to take down the most popular Republican. We're going to pull them off social media. Man, those guys are DOA. We were just going to run right through them, hold, maybe hold on to the House. Nancy Pelosi gets another few years. Can you imagine what we can do through reconciliation? And now here we are 10 months later. A governorship goes down in Virginia to a Republican substantially, and believe it or not, in New Jersey, too close to call with the Republican with a slight lead after Election Day. We are into the day after. So many other wins locally. Uh, I believe the state legislature also flipped in Virginia. So we'll go over all that, what it means, and how Democrats and Republicans will interpret this separately. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I wasn't surprised at all by what Joe Manchin said yesterday. It's what he's been telling me. It's what he's been telling, I think, everybody. I also agree that, candidly, we should have voted for the bipartisan infrastructure deal back in September uh, when it first came up. I think that would have helped the president. And they passed it out of the Senate, and they stuck it in the House. But Senator Warner, if you spoke up, Virginia, if you spoke up then, maybe it would have been different. It's for it's a run for glory. Excuse me. The state of the spending bills. Dems turn their ire on Manchin. Yeah, Joe Manchin. But should these results that just came in that I'm about to get into detail about push them to pass the bipartisan bill and that's it or go for the socialist agenda while they can? Number two. It is not a good idea to keep telling Americans that America is systemically racist. And you see this anti-woke rebellion. The Democrats want to say it's all about critical race theory and that that's a misnomer. It's about everything so much broader than that. And it's bringing Republicans back in the suburbs where Republicans have been losing. The reason behind the resurgence for Republicans up and down the ticket across the country. Here's a hint. It begins but doesn't end with a performance of Joe Biden. Inept and at times indifferent and detached from the needs of Americans and the impact of their ridiculous policies. Number one. It's our moment for parents, for grandparents to change the future of Virginia's children's lives. It's our time to turn that vision into a reality. We're going to embrace our parents, not ignore them. Yeah, there you go. And that is Glenn Youngkin. It's a run for glory for the GOP. Youngkin, a conservative army, uh, he leads into office. On an off-year election, even New Jersey is still in play. We'll have the results. So Youngkin was winning just about the whole night. He was able to flip a bunch of counties, get close in counties in which he should have been routed. And it's estimated roughly he won 51-48 against uh, 
McAuliffe, the former governor of the state, the longtime Democratic operative. How the heck did he do it? Well, a lot had to do with McAuliffe. He's arrogant. A lot had to do with McAuliffe. He walked around saying there is no CRT, that parents should not have a say in their kids' education, that, that uh, Yunkin is Donald Trump, that Yunkin is uh, having a virtual signal for racist philosophies. And then when he got down, he said, I'm going to call in the big guns. Barack Obama, we don't get along. I need you to come in here. Where President Obama comes out and says, don't go for these trumped-up culture wars. Trumped up. Have you been watching? This is real. These are moms showing up and dads at school board meetings and being outraged about what their kids are learning. And then some being arrested and then finding out the FBI is targeting them. And then you have... Kamala Harris, who comes out and tells everybody, if we lose this in Virginia, it's a, it's a, it's a signal for what's going to happen in 2022 and 2024. Good job. Stacey Abrams comes in. Good job. Guess who else came in? Jill Biden. Joe Biden mentioned Donald Trump something like 33 times in a 60-minute speech. Good job. Now you all lost, not just Terry McAuliffe. Here's Glenn Youngkin. Cut one. Our kids can't wait. We work in real people time, not government time. We're going to start with 20 charter schools, and we are going to make a down payment and close the gap on giving parents an opportunity to select where their kids go to school. Friends, we're going to embrace our parents, not ignore them. Yeah, and I'm sure he's going to do it. Two billion he's going to put for schools. He's going to open up a whole bunch of charter schools. Who's going to stop him? And who's going to say that? These Democrats going to stand in his way and be anti-parent? That's really what we're talking about. Anti-parent. Uh, I'm going to uh, first talk before I go to to New Jersey, which is currently I think there's about a thousand votes separating them. When I lost last, saw 88 percent of the of the votes have been counted, and about a thousand votes separate the two. We'll take a, a, a final look at we'll take a look at that, but it's going to be changing because it's ongoing. And then, of course, I'm sure there's going to be challenges when something's that close. I don't think that's out of bounds to challenge it. But instead of looking at Glenn Youngkin and saying, "Man, this guy's got a lot of energy. He was very natural in the stump. His issues really flowed." And I got to tell you, he won it. He didn't. Look, it wasn't that Terry McAuliffe lost it. This guy won it. Listen to how and this was amusing to watch. MSNBC and CNN handled it. First off, Joy Reid, cut seven. The coronavirus, or that the virus, it was a very has low was not importance to many yes. voters. There, was it was education, right. which is code for white parents don't like the idea of teaching right. about race. And I mean, unfortunately, race is just the most palpable tool in the toolkit. Used to be of the Democratic Party back right. in the day when they were Dixiecrats, and now of the Republican Party. Unbelievable, right? But understandable. What do you think? You just you just called Republicans a racist for the last year during this campaign, and it blew up in your face. In fact, independents left you. Are they racist too? Cut eight. Nicole Wallace. Critical race theory, which isn't real, turned the suburbs 15 points to the Trump insurrection-endorsed Republican. Which isn't real? Have you done any research? Have you seen Chris Ruffo's? report on this. This was brought front front and center. This is in their textbooks. You telling parents they're making it up? Those parents are racist? Do they realize they're talking to somebody besides their few fans and viewers? So Van Jones, who I always think is interesting, uh, 
I think he's so way off here. Cut six. When this election is over in Virginia, we will know. Have we seen the emergence of the Delta variant of Trumpism? The Delta variant of Trumpism. In other words, Yunkin, uh, same disease, but spreads a lot faster and can get a lot more places. The suburbs, if they fall to him, you well, now that's have, implying that yeah that Yunkin is more dangerous than uh, the well, president, former well, president. No, no, more easy to spread. What are you even talking about? There's not a racist cell in his body, nor did he have any dog whistle. Please don't go for the, I'm going to please my audience and my producer in my ear. Van Jones, an Ivy League grad, and you have uh, Anderson Cooper, really curious. Wow, do you really think he is worse than Trump? Worse than Trump? What are you talking about? Andrea Mitchell, who people think is a, uh, a actual reporter, and you know she's not. Listen to how she described Yunkin. Cut five. Education. Glenn Yunkin is almost a textbook case of someone who's taken a cultural issue and arguably distorted it. That is the accusation. And according to all of our fact-checking, you know, critical race theory is not taught in Virginia schools. It's not a big deal, but it's become, you know, a cause of outrage in so many school boards. (sighs) Right. Arguably. But basically, he made it up a phony culture war. That's what got... Him elected. When Barack Obama came out and said it and showed how tone deaf he was, he wasn't speaking the truth, called it a trumped up culture war, remember? And then, of course, don't forget what happened with Lieutenant Governor Ray Winsome Sears, a veteran, uh, Afri- uh, not African American, I would say Caribbean American, whose parents are from Jamaica, uh, black, and is Lieutenant Governor and is a Republican. A Republican. How do you explain that? Did she not hear the dog whistle that you say one off? Cut three. We have things to tend to. We are going to fully fund our historically black colleges and universities. Education lifted my father out of poverty. Education lifted me out of poverty. Education will lift us all out of poverty because we, we must have marketable skills so that our children can not just survive, but they will thrive. And they will create generational wealth. Okay. Sound racist? Sad dog whistle? How did she win? How did they, Joe Cetarelli, did he run on black-white issues? How did he beat governor? Maybe a beaten, if not, within maybe 100 votes if he does lose in a bright blue state of New Jersey. You just want to say every time a Republican wins, it's because there's racists who vote for them. And you wonder why people are saying the hell with you and your party. Not a racist. You're seeing this other stuff going flowing out of the White House. You see our, our supply chain stopped. Inflation rises. The border is like a sieve worse than any time in all of our lifetimes. Afghanistan, you don't think that resonated with the people of Virginia who have more military veterans per capita and bases in that state than any other state in the union, perhaps? You don't think that that makes something to do with it? No, you think because a trumped-up culture war that doesn't exist in your mind gave Virginia a phony win. I mean, go ahead. That means you've learned nothing. I hope political operatives for the Democrats' case are smarter than their pundits. one 408 So uh, Joe Cittarelli has done exactly what Jack Cittarelli has done exactly 
what Governor Christie said. He said he's running a great race and look out for him because he is closing the gap. And he said that on television. He said that on radio. And I just thought to myself, you know, he likes him. I mean, he's the former governor of New Jersey. Uh, he, I haven't seen a poll that had him within eight points or six points. I think he's just going to say he closed the gap and that shows a trend in the state. But, man, he was winning all night. Cut 16. I wanted to come out here tonight because I had prepared one hell of a victory speech. I wanted to come out here tonight and tell you that we had won. I'm here, but I'm here to tell you that we're winning. We're winning. It's amazing. I don't want to take too much time because I want to get your impression. Also, things like the Suffolk County, the Nassau County uh, race for the county executive in this huge county in America, this very successful, safe county. It looks like it's gone to the Republicans. There's so many races that went to Republicans in New York, in Buffalo, New York. They Democrats ran a socialist, and she lost uh, in Buffalo. So there's more time, more gains have been made in blue states for Republicans than even I think they predicted. We'll talk about it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. In the 2020 election, President Trump lost, but lots of Republicans won down ballot. Center-right issues, absent Trump. Center-right issues in this off-year election, absent Trump, proved nominally but this not is a, very successful. This is a- that is Major Garrett doing some uh, honest assessment on what happened. They tried to run against Donald Trump. What they did is, and this is to, tie, uh, to, to Youngkin's credit, what he did is never distance. He never said, I'm against Donald Trump, never said I'm running against Donald Trump. He kept saying, I'm running for myself. And they said, Donald Trump endorsed you. And he said, yeah, OK, that's always good. I always want endorsements, but uh, I'm running as me. 
No, and I, he also, the only thing he did is nuance he shouldn't protest elections, and uh, that was about it. Besides that, he, he welcomed all comers. And I just talked to someone at Fox looking at the, our exit polls, our Fox News analysis, and Trump supporters rallied to Yunkin. So they weren't mad at him. They didn't look at him as Adam Kinzinger. They didn't look at him as Liz Cheney. He just said, I'm not against Trump. I'm running as me. And that, to me, is the template. Here's Victor Davis Hanson with some analysis. Cut 14. I think it taught the Republicans that the MAGA agenda is institutionalized, but it's not enough to get angry. You've got to get angry and smart. You've got to get even, not just mad. And I think that's what Youngton has really taught the Republicans. There is a way to get mad and get even at the same time at the Democrats. And that's what he found out. You need a strategy. Uh, Ian Pryor led the movement to get parents involved when his kid was targeted on a Facebook page, and so were the parents that spoke up about because they were critical of critical race theory. But they messed with the wrong guy uh, because Ian Pryor took action, organized, used his federal contacts, uh, contacts to get these moms on the, and these dads on the same page and give the parents a voice, not only in Virginia but nationwide. Cut 13. When I saw last night that Randy Weingarten was, was campaigning with Terry McAuliffe on the night before the election, I actually thought that maybe McAuliffe was trying to throw the race somehow, because there's just no way that anyone in their right mind would have Randy Weingarten campaigning for them on the night before the election. I mean, she is so divisive that I know, I know plenty of Democrats that cannot stand her. They kept kids out of school for a year when they didn't have to, and he brings her out on the campaign trail the night before. For? What were they thinking? I, I am convinced that he tried to throw this thing. And how about the fact that he has the teachers union in his pocket and the day before and the day of the election, a Monday night, he comes out and says, we have to do our best to diversify the teachers in this state. There's too many white teachers. Really? Can they be good or bad teachers? Do they do they locking out black teachers and Hispanic teachers and Asian teachers? I can't. It's if I almost agree with Ian Pryor. It was as if he was throwing it in the street. And then at one point he said, well, I know I'm not running against Donald Trump. Really? You just told everyone for a year you were running against Donald Trump. And when you found out that didn't work, you changed your tune. The other big story that I want to get to, and I'll explain how Rich Lowry was a deep thinker, great knowledge of past elections and what this could mean for the midterms, National Review. I want to tell you what's happening with these spending bills. For me, if I'm a Democrat and I'm watching what just happened, I am walking away from the $1.7 trillion and I'm saying pass the 1.2 bipartisan plan and let's go from here. Let's try to tell the American people we're not extremists. Let's wake Joe Biden up to stop listening to the squad. But Joe Manchin stood up and said there's a bunch of gimmicks in the 1.75 Democratic Center from West Virginia. And guess what? They're now targeting him. Senator Gillibrand was spotted badgering Senator Manchin on the floor to take paid leave. Put that back in the bill. Cut 22. The White House knew exactly where I stood. There was a couple of concerns that we had we had to work through. And to say that you automatically signed off on things, I've been here long enough to know that when you say you signed off on things, you ought to keep your word. And I'm Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. I'm not going to be a liar or make anyone else a liar. Meanwhile, here's President Joe Biden in Glasgow, where he pretended that we're really concerned about the environment. Cut 21. I understand that Joe is looking for the precise detail to make sure nothing got slipped in in terms of the way in which the legislation got written that is different than he acknowledged he would agree to. But I I think we'll get this done. Here's the problem. He did an analysis with the Wharton School of Business of Pennsylvania, as I told you yesterday, the Axios unveiled, and they did the math. And they told Joe Manchin, since uh, since it was not scored, I will tell you we'll score it. And the $1.75 trillion is really $3.9. Remember, he only said, I'll commit to one, 1.5. And he didn't want to do that. He wanted to pass the 1.2, which was bipartisan, because he's concerned about inflation. He's concerned about the debt. So are you. And you might be a Democrat listening to me. If Democrats want a future, it is mansion It is people like Eric Adams says he's going to govern as the mayor of New York and maybe cinema if we should only speak. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. When this election is over in Virginia, we will know. Have we seen the emergence of the Delta variant of Trumpism? The Delta variant of Trumpism. In other words, Yunkin, uh, same disease, but spreads a lot faster and can get a lot more places. The suburbs, if they fall to him, you well, now that's have, implying that yeah that Yunkin is more dangerous than uh, the well, president, former well, president. No, no, more easy to spread. What does that even mean? I don't even know what that means. It's easier to spread. Okay, uh, thanks for the analogy. Rich Lowry needed that. He had to find out how dangerous now <laughs> Governor-elect Yunkin is. He's the editor of National Review and author of The Case for Nationalism. Rich, what was he, what was he talking about? The, is I, their I, goal I, to make him a, uh, more dangerous than Donald Trump? Is that going to fly? I, th- I think that I think I get it. What he means is he's not more dangerous than Trump, but he's more appealing, so he could he could win in more places. Yeah, that's so, probably it. But this the whole Trump thing it 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 didn't work. You know, you you, you can have uh, like Donald Trump, hate him, whatever. But this is a different guy, Glenn Youngkin, and it it shows the strategy just to run against Trump in every single race in the country from dog catcher to governor is not going to work. And my my locality here in the Northeast, there is a highly contested school board race, and they try to portray the Republican school board candidates as, as Trump, you know, as, as Trump, as the, you know, these nice guys who, who are just doing it because they want to push back against CRT and make sure parents have a voice. 
and it didn't work here either. You know, the Republicans narrowly won. So this is a bankrupt strategy. Uh, there was obviously a national wave. Youngkin ran a really good campaign, but you know, even places where Republicans didn't run notably good campaigns, they they uh, were, you know won in Pennsylvania, they won in Long Island. Maybe we'll win a New Jersey, New Jersey gubernatorial race. That's that's tied. You know, plus 16 Biden state. So this was a wave that if Democrats aren't panicked, they're not paying attention. Uh, well, yeah, let's look at some of the reasons why. Uh, number one, some people are talking to the fact that uh, McAuliffe came out and used a lot of celebrities, used a lot of surrogates, went in trouble bringing Barack Obama, bringing the vice president, bringing the president, bringing Stacey Abrams. Uh, I think it was a big turnoff. I, I think that one thing to take away from this is if you want to win a state, focus on that state. The, I actually and, and to think that Barack Obama came in and said, don't fall for the trumped up uh, 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 Trumped up culture yeah. wars, that shows that his instincts failed him. Yeah, and it never works, does it? I mean, it when when someone's embattled and they bring in the big guns, you either win or lose it on your own. I will say probably the most damaging surrogate for McAuliffe, though I'm I'm guessing to the extent surrogates made any difference, was the one right at the end, who was not a celebrity. But if you're concerned with education and our kids and what's happening in the schools, you know her, and that's Randy Weingarten, you know, the head of the teachers, National Teachers Union, who was in favor of all these school closures that were the first thing that created the predicate for the, for the backlash we saw in Virginia. Just uh, uh, school closings not based on science that had a devastating effect on the education of kids and on top of that, really disrupted the lives of parents and, and working parents. And then you roll on you know, from there with mask mandates and with CRT stuff and with trans stuff and with explicit content in schools. And it just made, it made education a huge issue in that race, obviously. And then Terry McAuliffe very helpfully tied a bow around it by saying parents shouldn't be involved in, in what's taught to their kids in, in the schools, and that was really the beginning of the end. Too many white teachers in Virginia I don't think helped either, and denying, instead of CRT isn't bad, CRT didn't exist. It do, right. wasn't there. It's trumped up. Really? We were seeing, we could show you the curriculum and the lesson plans, so I don't know what they were talking about. Having said that, go ahead and don't, don't tell me you predicted this outcome in New Jersey. We're in a virtual dead heat with a yeah. slight advantage for Cetarelli. Yeah. No, amazing. I, I've, I paid no attention to that race. I did predict it would be closer than people thought, but I never thought it would be this close and, and maybe a victory. And it's a sign of a, of a national wave. You know, that's a plus 16 Biden state, and it has to be commentary on the way Murphy handled the pandemic, you know, where he had massive shutdowns and some of the worst uh, health outcomes in the entire country because he had the Cuomo policy on nursing homes, which was exactly the opposite of what you should do. We, we should have gone lighter with the lockdowns, clearly, in retrospect, you know, the way DeSantis did, the way, uh, at the same time, going further out of our way to try to protect the most vulnerable. Again, as DeSantis did in Florida, Murphy and Cuomo had it backwards, and that, that had to play a role here. Absolutely. So there's, a, there's some takeaways, and I wouldn't be surprised if Cedarelli won, because every time they say, well, this district is more... Uh, for Murphy, uh, Cedarelli picks up more. I think mm-hmm. he's got about a 1,000-vote lead right now. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure. I think it's 88% of precincts reported. I'm yeah. not sure what uh, New Jersey law says, and it's got to be an automatic recount. But regardless, he's flipped a bunch of counties. And I think uh, I think that uh, McAuliffe and Murphy 
I think that on some level they thought they'd win their race and maybe run for president. Murphy was thinking about taking this momentum from this big win, a second term, and running for president. That is now uh, that is now DOA. And I'll tell you, Rich, the other big picture is Afghanistan. I don't. Th- I think they wanted to underplay how the American people felt about Afghanistan and the way he embarrassed this nation by the way he left. Would be way to became clear that he bucked all of his military advisors in doing so. And the embarrassment we feel for those people who fought there, and they should not be sullied with this stain because of the way he left. And I think that in Virginia especially, they will not forget it. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a national dishonor. It was a national disgrace. I couldn't believe, no matter how much they were saying at the time, oh, we're going to abide by the August 31st deadline, that they would. Because I just didn't think it was possible for an American president to leave hundreds of Americans behind in a country taken over by an an enemy force. But he did, and I think the reaction to it was refracted through – competence and norms and you know, you're, you're supposed to be the guy who's, who's managing things. And I think it's just been devastating to, to Biden's image in that level. I would prefer if, if everyone was just agreement, this was a disgrace and we can't have American president ever doing such a thing. But, it, but I think it, as I say, it came out in the issue of, of competence where a lot of people who you know, don't feel the way I do about Joe Biden and no use for him ever over the last 50 years, just couldn't look at him the same. I had friends, you know, they Jewish friends that had relatives, Democratic relatives, over for the holidays, and said they, they just don't. They think it's a joke. They can't. They can't look at them the same. And I think it's hollowed out his presidency, at least for the interim here. And you know that's a key, obviously a key element of the background of what happened last night. You, this is the most unpopular president ever at this juncture in his, his presidency since we've had modern polling, and and that played a huge role. Well, everyone keeps pointing out to the record number of votes he got. Sure. But so did so did Donald Trump more than any other Republican in history. Seventy five million people were certain uh, that he should not be president and that Donald Trump should, despite all the controversy swirling around him. Meanwhile, an NBC poll, I think that was underscore was underappreciated, said this. Who do you trust more on these key issues by double digits? They trust Republicans for border security, uh, to handle the inflation, to handle crime, to handle the economy, to handle national security, and overall getting things done. When I saw NBC release that poll and how Chuck Todd's head almost exploded as he was forced to cover this poll, I thought to myself, "This this is the worst downward slide I've ever seen in my life. Well, Joe Biden nods off, nods off in this emergency Glasgow Green Summit. I mean, that's, this, the best, that's the best thing he's done, Brian, in, in my view. That's the most understandable <laughs> human thing he's done. Of course, we, we all would have nodded off at that meeting. <laughs> but you're right. And what, what have Republicans done uh, on the issues? You know, have, have they been brilliant? Have they been creative? No, they've just been standing there while Biden fumbles all this away. And, and this is, the, uh, you know, the, the most encouraging electoral sign from Virginia is Yunkin outperformed Trump amazingly in, in the rural areas. You know, the, the margins went up there. At the same time, he did better than Trump did in the suburbs. So, so the thinking was that only Trump, you know, with his unique qualities, could bring out that rural and small-town vote the way he did in 16 and 20. But the downside was, you know, suburban voters didn't like him. So it was going to be, you know, a near-run thing, as it was in 16 and, and in 20. But this, Young can create the possibility, no, those rural and small-town voters, they're turning out even if Trump's not on the ballot. And if Trump's not on the ballot, 
suburban voters are going to like Republicans more. So that, that I think, has to be one of the, the scariest takeaways for Democrats. They thought they were going to own the suburbs going forward when it looks like they're just renting them. Right. Uh, good point. Good analogy. Uh, let's talk about the spending bill. Uh, once again, Senator Warner stumbles into this with Neil Cavuto. I said all along that House should have just passed the 1.2 so-called bipartisan infrastructure bill, but instead they sat on it for months and still can't get together on a reconciliation bill. You would think after this election, you would interpret this as, oh my goodness, the American people want nothing to do with this. We look terrible. Pass what we have. Instead, listen to John Tester, a so-called moderate. Cut 24. I want to see the BIF get passed. I think it's really important that we move forward as we're three months into this thing. And I think there are certain folks in the House that maybe looking for a reason not to move it forward, to hold it up. And I don't want to see that happen. He wants to see everything passed. The the liberals want to see everything passed. They know that Joe Manchin stood up and said this is a bunch of gimmick. It's going to cost $3.9 trillion, not $1.7, and I'm not going to go for it. And yet they see what happened with the election, and they still their interpretation is pass them both? Yeah. So the the, the big takeaway here is that I'm not sure, you know, the infrastructure bill passing it would be a nice victory for Biden. He could have some Republican senators at the signing ceremony, et cetera, et cetera. But is that really what people are most concerned about? Is it really going to move the needle one way or the other? Yeah, it gives them a good uh, news cycle or a good, maybe a good week finally um, when, when he's had basically zero good weeks his entire presidency. But that, it's just not what people are concerned about. They want, they want him to focus on the border, majorities in a poll week or two. They want, they want him to focus on inflation. And I'm sure they want to fo- have him focus on the supply chain. So th- this is another big problem they have. It's just the stuff they're obsessed with, race, obviously, you know, spending tons of money in, in Washington and creating a, a, a huge expansion of the welfare state and fighting global warming. That's just not the, at the top of anyone's agenda. So they can pass their stuff, and I don't think it's going to make any difference. And I think if they pass the reconciliation bill, it actually hurts. I would think so. I thought 40 percent or some really high number said we don't even know what's in it, which makes all of us, because even Joe Manchin doesn't know what's in it, because they haven't scored it and they haven't finished it, and yet they've had almost a year to do it. Rich Lowry, a fascinating time to be a Republican and one in which you should go to school if you're a Democrat because it's a five-alarm fire with the midterms uh, a year away. Rich, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Brian. Have a great day. All right. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, we're going to follow that New Jersey race. Maybe we're going to get an answer within our show. Find out why McAuliffe has not conceded yet, once again showing almost no class because this election is over. No one's scouting corruption. Most every vote is cast. I understand no one wants to lose, but can anybody ever do the right thing? On both sides, I should add, too. one 408 7669 Listen, the president of Freedom Fighter is out. So many of you got it. I appreciate it. It's about Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and the battle to save America's soul. I think it's, it really factors into what CRT is and what the foundation of America is. Love to talk about it, and I'll be doing it today at 2.30 in a live signing opportunity. Carly Shimkus read the book, Watch the Special, which is on Sunday on the 7th of November, 10 o'clock Eastern Time, Fox News Channel. Uh, The president of Freedom Fighter will be made for television, so to speak. But the book, again, is out 304 pages. But we're going to do a live signing. So if you go to BrianKilme.com, click on Book Tour. Live signing is the first thing there. It'll tell you how to register. So this way you can ask your questions 
Carly can ask questions. It's going to be fun. Don't move. Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Every four years when this election happens for Governor of Virginia, it's a tight election, it's a close election, and it is a bellwether for what happens in the rest of the country. What happens in Virginia will in large part determine what happens in 2022, 2024, and on. So Newt Gingrich yesterday said... If anyone has that tape, and if you're a Republican, you make the minute Youngkin wins, make the ad. And that's it. Because once again, the vice president stepped in. And if you watch her appearance, you could tell she's off prompter, turning her head all the way around. No one would, nobody would ever say that because the last thing Republicans want to do is link something to Joe Biden or the Democrats after they lose precipitously, possibly New Jersey. Pot, definitely Virginia, uh, Nassau County, Long Island, which could deliver the governorship uh, for a Republican like Lee Zeldin. And also, there's so many, so many New York offices went to Republicans up and down around the country. The pushback against the defund the police is prevalent from Seattle to Minneapolis uh, to New York. And now you have the vice president linking it directly like every Republican would only wish he would do. Please tell me, how is she an asset to anyone's ticket? She's the one who put the recording together. They went to 300 churches because they were getting nervous about the Republican, about the uh, the black vote. And they should have been, as we found out. But the denial is incredible. Steve Hilton put it in perspective. The newest American that I know. Cut nine. The reaction from the left actually should encourage Republicans, because what you're seeing from Democrats is this snarling, angry reaction, which is, well, it's all because of the racist dog whistle and so on. And there's no indication that they're going to actually stop and think and reevaluate what caused this, in particular, that patronizing, condescending attitude expressed by McAuliffe, but so typical of the Democrats' attitude these days to everything, which is, we know best... We decide what happens. You need to just shut up and obey and pay your taxes, and we make all the decisions. There's no sign that they're actually taking a lesson from that. Yeah, and and I agree. And we played some of that earlier in the hour. The anger from Nicole Wallace to Joy Reid on the win. They want to say racist, uh, white supremacist, sexist. It just doesn't work to say we were wrong on the issues. we got to get right on the issues and find out what's resonating. They go for the headline, but no one's watching. MSNBC, CNN, no one's watching. They're not reading. They're not clicking. The American people are so much smarter than they give them credit for. So the one thing we found out during the pandemic, governors matter. They control our lives when they have to. Maybe they didn't even realize the power they had. That's what Robert Kalali said. He's a chief pollster for the Trafalgar Group, an up-and-coming conservative pollster. Listen to his analysis, Cut 11. 
there's been a level of attention that governors around America have gotten in, in this COVID world that people didn't realize the power and the authority and the ability that a governor has to affect your life. And, and once people realize that, they want, they want more. They want a better governor. And so bringing in the people who help push everything people were opposed to doesn't do much, much for McAuliffe. That's so interesting, right? Uh, because, you know, you watch Cuomo sit there and people lauded him with his PowerPoint. And then I thought to myself at the end of that session, I think he just closed every restaurant in the country. I think he just mandated masks on all mass transportation. I think he just mandated masks in all buildings. I can't believe a governor had this power. That's what happened with Murphy. He became power hungry. He says he's protecting us. I don't want protection from some Goldman Sachs CEO. Brian Kilmey. Go to briankilmey.com, order the president and the freedom fighter. Join me at 2.30 today for a live signing with Carly Shimkus. briankilmey.com. Click on it and register. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by uh, Mark Thiessen, in fact, Matter of Moments, and bottom of the hour, Tara Palmieri the co-author of The Political Playbook, which is a must-read for everybody every morning. Uh, Mark Thiessen's got a great theory about one of the key moments is the reason why the Republicans did so well yesterday, although it does look like the New Jersey governor race seems to be slowly slipping away. It's now, instead of Cetarelli up for the first, uh, for the most of the time, he's now trailing by about 5,000 votes. With the, All the votes are not in. Just about 85% of the precincts have reported. And meanwhile, in New York City, some big news. Eric Adams has won, as expected. Uh, he's re- he's got the he's got two things going for him. Number one, there's a lot to do, and people are exp- uh, giving him some space to do it. And he's also replacing the worst, most ineffective, disinterested mayor in our history, and that is Mayor De Blasio. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. I wasn't surprised at all by what Joe Manchin said yesterday. It's what he's been telling me. It's what he's been telling, I think, everybody. I also agree that, candidly, we should have voted for the bipartisan infrastructure deal back in September uh, when it first came up. I think that would have helped the president. Yeah, I would say so. The state of the spending bills. Uh, Dems turn, uh, turn their ire on Manchin. But should these results push them to just pass the bipartisan bill they've had in their laps for the past three months? Number two. It is not a good idea to keep telling Americans that America is systemically racist. And you see this anti-woke rebellion. The Democrats want to say it's all about critical race theory and that that's a misnomer. It's about everything so much broader than that. And it's bringing Republicans back in the suburbs where Republicans have been losing. Ari Fleischer weighing in. The reason behind the resurgence for Republicans up and down tickets across the country. Here's a hint. It begins but doesn't end with the performances of Biden. He's inept and at times indifferent and detached from the needs of the American people and the impact of his ridiculous policies. Number one. It's our moment for parents, for grandparents to change the future of Virginia's children's lives. It's our time to turn that vision into a reality. We're going to embrace our parents, not ignore them. Glenn Youngkin, pretty happy. Why wouldn't he be? 
Uh, it's a run for glory for the GOP. Youngkin leads a conservative army into office in this off-year election. Even New Jersey still in play. We'll review the results. Mark Thiessen joins us now, chief presidential speechwriter for Bush, Fox News contributor, Washington Post columnist, and a fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Mark, it doesn't look like New Jersey at this moment is going the Republicans' way, but the fact that it's percentage points away is stunning, almost as stunning as what's happened in Virginia. Why did this happen? So here's the thing. I, the, when we're going to look back at the issues, these are governor's races, and so local issues dominate, right? Education is going to be the key issue in Virginia. But the turning point on all of this was Afghanistan. And I don't mean that voters in, in Virginia were casting their ballots in Afghanistan. They, they, it didn't even make the list in terms of the issues that were on voters' minds. But nearly half of Virginia voters reported they were casting a vote of confidence or no confidence in Biden, and 28 percent, nearly a third, the voters said they were voting to express opposition to Biden. Uh, his his approval disapproval is 54 percent in Virginia, and it was and 46 percent strongly disapprove. So Biden in an election that was just decided by about two points that is a huge huge factor in the election. What began Biden's slide in approval? It was Afghanistan. If you go back on August 15th, the day Kabul fell, uh, Biden's approval in the RCP average was 50 percent. A few days before that, Hill Harris poll found 55 percent approval, strong majorities of supporting him on every issue, 55 percent on his handling of the economy, 54 percent on the job he was doing fighting terrorism, 58 percent said he was doing a good job running the government. And then Afghanistan, after the Afghanistan debacle, the floor fell out from under him. Everything went under went, uh, went underwater. Um, and, and we had the Quinnipiac poll that showed he was underwater, not just on foreign policy, but on the economy, taxes, immigration, uh, even the pandemic. And NBC News poll last week, 30, just 37 percent of Americans say that he is competent and 37 percent say he can handle a crisis. So all of that drove it drove uh, the vote in in both in both Virginia and in New Jersey and you know and it was and it all started with the with the debacle in Afghanistan so they were they weren't voting about Afghanistan but it was Afghanistan that pulled the, the pulled the floor out from under Biden's approval which uh, and these elections were a referendum on him so you look at what happened in Virginia I also think Glenn Youngkin did a really good job I mean he was so composed yeah. knew the issues Happy to be there. He ran a positive campaign. Not even tired at the end. I mean, the guy looked fresher than he did at the end than he did in the beginning, yet he was uh, indefatigable along the way. What flies in the face of this so-called uh, pushback from white people, according to everyone on MSNBC and CNN, is the lieutenant governor's race. Winsome Sears, we haven't done it formally, but she is going to be the winner in the lieutenant governor's race. Her parents are from Jamaica. They were first-year immigrants. They were first-generation immigrants. She worked her way up through the military, and now she has won this campaign through, despite some personal tragedy along the way. That is a, a big sign for Republicans, don't you think? Yes, and also Hispanic Attorney General, the, third, the other the other big position, uh, Cuban American. Uh, these, these white supremacists are really crafty. You know the way they they they're, they're willing to elect a black woman lieutenant governor and Hispanic uh, put a Hispanic in the Attorney General's office in order to uh, in order to defeat the yeah. Democrats. It all started with that uh, that white supremacist <laughs> Lee El- uh, yeah Lee Elder. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I mean, look, it, what it, what it shows is that. That that focusing on racism and focusing on Trump doesn't work for Democrats. I mean, of course, unless Trump is on the ballot, which <laughs> which he may be at some point. But right now, Trump isn't on the ballot anywhere. 
And Republicans did a great job of focusing on issues that people care about. We have a, a, the presidential incompetence that drove down uh, the Democrats and dragged the Democrats down. And that combination is pretty, uh, pretty compelling. And going into the 2022 midterms, uh, I, I, we've got a lot of momentum. Uh, absolutely. And it's unexpected. Uh, Van Jones weighed in. And he's one of these commentators like David Axelrod. I'll listen to on another channel. But he does some things that are just not based in fact, pure emotion. And it has, and it's, I think he embarrassed himself with this. Cut six. When this election is over in Virginia, we will know. Have we seen the emergence of the Delta variant of Trumpism? The Delta variant of Trumpism. In other words, Yunkin, uh, same disease, but spreads a lot faster and can get a lot more places. The suburbs, if they fall to him, you well, now that's have, implying that yeah that Yunkin is more dangerous than uh, well, the president, former well, president. No, no, more easy to spread. What does that even mean? What do you, how do you interpret that ridiculous, emotion-based reaction in his, the way he handles disappointment? Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, look, here's the other thing that Democrats don't seem to understand, which is why they're in such a mess up on Capitol Hill, is that voters didn't, in the, in the 2020 election, didn't reject Trumpism. They rejected Trump. It was it was the the it was the president. It was just exhaustion from the from the president. He still got seventy five million votes. He did, but he but 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 lost the election. Um, the 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 the, but it was not a rejection of Trumpism. So if you in the middle of the pandemic when we are in a lockdown, uh, the economy is shut down. The Gallup poll found that fifty six percent of Americans said they were better off now than they were four years ago. Right. The highest in the history of the Gallup poll in the middle of 2020. Right. So this, they, they agreed with him on the issues. They supported the policies that, that, that Trump uh, that Trump supported. So, you know, the idea that Trumpism it, Trump may or may not run again. Um, and that's something that's beyond anybody's control except his. But Trumpism was never rejected in the, by the by by the American people. The American people voted when they voted for Joe Biden. They didn't vote to reverse Trump's policies. They didn't vote to uh, to give the Democrats a mandate for socialism. They voted because he said that he was going to restore normalcy and competence to the presidency, and he was going to reach across the aisle and unite the country and work with Republicans. And he's they've done the opposite. I mean, they, he, the, the only example of bipartisanship is this bipartisan infrastructure bill, and he can't even get his own party to pass it. And this, and and they, 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 they build back better is, you know, is 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 socialism, and they can't even get their party to agree on it. This is not what voters asked the, uh, cast their ballots for in 2020. They voted for Joe Biden because they see he promised he was going to be unite the country. He was going to bring bring down the 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 extremism. And uh, and he's doing the opposite. And so they're getting walloped in the po- in the in the elections as a result. I would say this. If someone like Joe Manchin was president, Republicans would be in trouble. If someone actually yeah. walks around and says, I'm worried about inflation, I'm worried about the deficit, I'm worried about spending too much, I'm worried about destroying our energy sector, I'm worried about our defense. That's it. That's these are the things that Joe Manchin's saying. Uh, I'm worried about the border. Henry Cuellar, I'm worried about the border. And I think he said to us that I'm worried about the border, and I think the president has people way to his left who he's listening to. Why does he think Bernie Sanders and the squad are where the party and the country are? And when you watch what happened in New York City, Eric Adams, I know a Democrat was going to win that race. I get it, right? Yeah. So Eric Adams is going to win. But the way he won was law and order. The way he won was yeah. stop taxing the rich. I want them back from Florida. 
Uh, the way he won is is saying that I'm going to restore the gifted program. He's an African. He's a black guy who doesn't resent gifted students. Can you imagine? And he probably yep. won't stand in the way of charter schools. That's the way to get to a, to win an election. Yeah, and you just saw Minneapolis voters vote to, to vote down the uh, defund the police uh, uh, efforts in, in their city. They to keep the police department. I mean, the 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 far left is not where the country is. You know, 50-50 Senate and a three-vote majority uh, in the House is not a mandate for socialism. And Biden is just so weak and incompetent that he's getting he's getting driven by the loudest voices in his party. The pre- this is a president who went up to Capitol Hill twice to try and get Democrats to pass his bipartisan infrastructure bill and both times failed to even ask them to do it. Both times. If a strong president would go up and say, look, I'm the leader of this party. I need you to get in line with this. I, I need a win. <laughs> and I need to, I need a signing ceremony in my office ne- next week with this bill. Pass the damn bill. I'm your commander in chief. I'm telling you to do this. He wouldn't if do you it. Don't do it. You're, he can't he can't bring himself to do it because he's just a wet noodle. He, 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 he doesn't even know where he is. You see him, you know, literally like Trump called him Sleepy Joe. He literally fell asleep in a climate in a, in a climate meeting the other day. I mean, literally during the meeting, closed his eyes and fell asleep. And aide had to come and give him a fake note to wake him up because he was on camera. I mean, this, this, there's no strength. There's no standing up to, to you know, one. I, 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 I hate to say this, but honestly, I miss Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton would go to his own party and have a sister soldier moment, right? He would go and push them uh, to to do things to 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 compromise and to and to and uh, and to work together. This guy can't. This guy, this guy is just he's a, he's a leaf in the wind, and which and the wind in his party blows left, and so he just leans left with them because that's that's where the party is going. But they're out of touch with the American people. I, I wish I could argue with you, uh, but I can't. i got to find out what you think is going to happen, not what you think uh, you want to happen. I know where you stand. What do you think is going to happen with the reconciliation bill? Because I want you to hear what Joe Manchin said uh, yesterday. Cut 22. The White House knew exactly where I stood. There was a couple of concerns that we had we had to work through. And to say that you automatically signed off on things, I've been here long enough to know that when you say you signed off on things, you ought to keep your word. And I'm not going to be a liar or make anyone else a liar. So he said he had the Wharton School of Business do the math. It comes out to $3.9 trillion. He said it's full of gimmicks. It wasn't Mark Thiessen that said that. It was yeah. Joe Manchin, the Democrat, that says it's full of spending gimmicks. So yesterday, evidently, Senator Gillibrand was seen chasing Manchin down, trying to begging him to put uh, child care back in this bill uh, to the extreme that it was put in the bill to begin with. Why does Joe Biden say this? Cut 21. I understand that Joe is looking for the precise detail to make sure nothing got slipped in in terms of the way in which the legislation got written that is different than he acknowledged he would agree to. But I I think we'll get this done. Uh, I mean, is he did, obviously he said they were going to win in Virginia, and so yeah. he wasn't. I mean, it's wishful thinking. He also said inflation is uh, is not going up as fast as wages, which is totally wrong. Point five to five point four. Yeah. So here's the thing: they, there is no excuse not to pass something because they control. They have unified go- control of government. They control the White House, the House, and the Senate. They're negotiating amongst themselves within the Democratic caucus. If they can't come together and pass something, it is incompetence on a level we still have not even seen from this president. But 
it is incompetence on a level we haven't seen from this president because how do you, you – what they don't seem to realize is Joe Manchin isn't just a, one stakeholder in this debate. He has a veto. It's, it, 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 without his vote, you don't get anything. And he said, I'm comfortable with zero. So how do you come up with a framework for, right. that you, and, then, and then not clear it with Joe Manchin before you put it out? Right. If I was president of the United States or working, advising the president, I would say, OK, we come up with a framework. Let's sit down with Manchin and walk him through it and get him to sign off on each element. And then once he has said yes, then we release that and say that's the framework and tell the progressives you either vote for this or you get nothing. He, he has a veto. So if gotcha. the guy who has a veto is pushing back on you and saying, I don't support this, you're screwing up. And by the way, just to, not to confuse everyone to get too into detail, but Senator Sinema is the old, other roadblock. She started playing yep. along, and then she said, wait a second, you put an emissions fee on um, emissions fee on methane? I'm not going for that. So she's yeah. out now on some of their pay-fors. So good luck with this, uh, Mark. I'm very curious to see how they adjust uh, to this body blow they just received into the solar plexus. Uh, Mark, I agree with you. Fundamentally, it started with Afghanistan, and I hope America demands more and never lets them forget it because there's still Americans left there. Mark, thanks so much. All right. Take care. Go get them. Uh, when we come back, your turn, one 408 Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. My first clue in New Jersey came several weeks ago when former President Obama came in for a campaign rally for Governor Murphy. You do not engage the former president unless you're looking at numbers internally that are ringing alarm bells. And then when the surrogates started coming there, it said to me, the Murphy campaign is nervous about something. They're seeing either softness or a lack of enthusiasm. And that's really what happened in both states for Democrats. They were less enthusiastic in Virginia and New Jersey. And that is uh, Major Garrett used to work here uh, assessing what is 100 percent correct and proven to be true. Uh, up until maybe an hour ago, it looks like Jack Cettarelli was winning, uh, coming out of nowhere, the Republican in the bright blue state of New Jersey. And now it looks as though it's a 5,000 vote lead for Governor Mercy, but it's, uh, Murphy, but it's just percentage points, not even one, like point percentage points, like 0.4 percent. So we'll see how this comes out. I have I don't really know New Jersey's districts in particular to see what is uh, what has been filed and what hasn't. Then they got the mail in ballots. Uh, so we'll see how uh, this goes. But it is just a huge brushback pitch for the Biden agenda and for the Democrats in particular. And as I saw one Democrat come out and say, it's time to push back on wokeism. If you've been seeing the HBO show Bill Maher hosts and you've been listening to the monologues and you see the five alarm fire, he says Democrats are running into a building not to put out the fire, but seemingly not understanding that it's on fire. It is what is exp- happening right now. Everything that just happened, Bill Moore, as liberal as liberal gets, has been telling Democrats they are running against the grain and against the American people when they talked about all this political correctness and this wokeism. So when we come back, I'll expand on that with Tara Palmieri, co-author of The Political Playbook. She'll bring us inside the numbers and what's happening in both parties and what it means for the spending palooza that is now $1.75 trillion that Joe Manchin just won't sign up for. 
Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The coronavirus, or that the virus, it was a very has low was not importance to many yes, of the voters there. Was it was education, right. which is code for white parents don't like the idea of teaching right. about race. And I mean, unfortunately, race is just the most palpable tool in the toolkit. It used to be of the Democratic Party back right. in the day when they were Dixiecrats, and now of the Republican Party. Oh, is it unbelievable? Uh, if um, if a Republican runs and has success, he's a racist, uh, playing into white uh, supremacy. And if a Republican wins, it's because racists vote for him and they ran as racists. Uh, it's unbelievable uh, the way some people commentate. My sense is that Democrats, if they take that from this, all the, uh, the setbacks they had today, they'll lose even bigger in 2022. Uh, let's bring in uh, Tara Palmieri. She's co-author of the Political Playbook. All over this, one of the biggest nights of the year, uh, at least since the big election day last year. Tara, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. Tara, first off, for our audience, it seems as though, from what I've seen, uh, it looks like Murphy has pulled slightly ahead in New Jersey. Is that what you've seen? Right. It does look like he may squeak this one out. He may actually... Um, win the election. But I mean, the fact that it's so tight and it's by such a small number of votes is really kind of a loss for the Democrats in a big way. And it's troubling for members like Josh Gottheimer, who's a moderate and whose district, Bergen County, which was historically red at one time, really only it merely it, it, it tipped in Murphy's favor. And, you know, he's one of the deciding votes in voting on this really progressive legislation in the House. And it, it's, you know, it's still to be seen whether this impacts how he will negotiate with the rest of the Democratic caucus on the Build Back Better, uh, you know, social spending package and the bipartisan infrastructure package. But yeah, I mean, these, I, I really, I got to tell you, I was floored. I really didn't think New Jersey was going to be this close. And I'm actually from New Jersey, so I, so I should probably know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, Governor Christie was the one who said, you know, I don't know if he's going to win, but he said it was going to be close because he thought the polls are notoriously leaning left, and he would know he won twice. The second time, he won mm-hmm. uh, pretty significantly. And I want to talk about how that bill relates uh, to what's going to happen with the uh, reconciliation bill that Joe Manchin was pretty irate at 2 o'clock in the afternoon when he called that press conference. But I want you to hear... Uh, Glenn Youngkin is the story today. Cut one. Our kids can't wait. We work in real people time, not government time. We're going to start with 20 charter schools, and we are going to make a down payment and close the gap on giving parents an opportunity to select where their kids go to school. Friends, we're going to embrace our parents, not ignore them. And when they did the exit polls, education was number two, number three after COVID, uh, and first was the economy. But education was number three, and they want people that cared about education were voting for Republicans. Uh, right. he, he nailed it. He nailed it with this issue. This issue came to him, and he was ready for it. Uh, what do you think's behind all this? I just think right now um, the Democrats thought that they could run by 
waving this flag of Donald Trump, this scary banner of, you know, every Republican is Donald Trump, every Republican is Donald Trump. And I think that the voters are smarter than that. Um, and they're not looking at each uh, candidate as a reflection of the prior administration. They're looking at the candidates at what they're going to do on a local state level in terms of like education is a state level issue. Inflation is, is a problem right now. And that's just something people can feel when they go to um, the gas station, right, to, to pump up their gas. Like you can't lie to the voters about the way that they're feeling about their pocketbook issues, about their children. Um, and that doesn't say Donald Trump the way that the Democrats were hoping they could tie the Republicans and those issues to Trump. I mean, I, I just think that if there was anything that we learned is that Democrats need a new message than, you know, going crazy on Trump, that that really Republicans were right to focus on these these pocketbook issues and these, you know, state and local issues and, and instead of going after the bigger, you know, national story. And it may also have been a referendum on Joe Biden, because in a lot of ways, the economy, people look to the president and, and the federal government for for, um, you know, for guidance and, and, and for governing on the economy. And I don't think that they've seen that, especially with the supply chain issues and, like I said, the rising gas rates, inflation, uh, price of groceries. It's just all these kind of pocketbook issues, and, and it's become more than just, you know, politics and this kind of visceral reaction to certain players in either party, I think. So when President Obama shows up and misses the pulse of the people, it's surprising. Uh, just like Bill Clinton, he's got great political instincts, correct? I think we agree on mm-hmm. that. When he shows up and said, don't fall for the trumped up, the, these trumped up culture wars, I thought, has he been watching what's going on with these school board meetings? Has he been seeing the people that are standing up speaking out? He's been watching the size of those crowds. The way to counter it is not to diminish it. Find out what's behind it. Uh, were you surprised right. at that? I, I was, although I'm like not really that surprised because he's been out of the game for a while, right? We know what he's been up to. He's had these lavish parties, celebrities. He's living in Colorado and D.C. Like when was the last time really – Obama was on the trail and like really talking to voters and having that kind of, you know, one-on-one interaction with real people. I just think it's been so long. Like he's probably just out of touch, to be honest. And you're right. It was a miscalculation. Like he, the Democrats should have been more aware of what the issues are on the ground and the local and state level. And they should have played to them. They shouldn't have just tried to, you know, pin Youngkin to Trump. Like that was not an effective, that was not effective. I mean, he, he out, in many uh, areas of Virginia, like he actually outperformed Trump in a lot of ways. And I think for Republicans, I think they learned from this, like you can play the center. It doesn't need to be a cult of personality for every election, right? I wouldn't say Glenn Glenn Youngkin was a a personality force. He just hit at the issues that every day Virginians really cared about. And that was their kids. That was their pocketbooks. Um, and, you know, protect safety, defund the police, obviously, was very unpopular, and Democrats have backed away from that. But actually, they just they, – they, it's still an issue that I think is palpable as you see crime rates going up around the country. Um, and so I think a lot of the, the, the things that Democrats clung to about a year ago um, – Black Lives Matter and defund the police, they ended up really kind of putting them in this perilous position at this point, because truly, Terry McAuliffe was a moderate, right? But he sort of clung to the party, in a way, um, to the, the National Democratic Party, and it really ends up hurting him, I think, 
in the in this election. And I think Democrats are going to need to almost separate themselves from their leaders in Washington if they want to win in 2022. Wow, that's incredible because we got we have another nine months of performance. We got to uh, beat the supply chain problem. We got to find a way to get a hold of inflation. We have to see what's going to happen with the people left behind in Afghanistan, uh, let alone what could emerge from there as a country goes into poverty and uh, and terror. As things are blowing up on a daily basis, people will point back to us as well as what's happening with China and their supersonic uh, missile program that circumvents our missile defense. Um, it's pretty mm-hmm. interesting. We're talking with Tara Palmieri, co-author of the Political Playbook. Tara, so the door closes. Nancy Pelosi is sitting down with Chuck Schumer. Mm-hmm. What do they say they should do about the bipartisan bill of $1.2 trillion oh, and the $1.75? <laughs> what do you think they will say? Not what they should say, but what do you, what do you think they will strategize going forward? Oh, it's so hard to say because, like, they really don't have a grip on their party right now. I mean, the whole thing has been hijacked by the progressives um, that are, you know, resisting voting on this bipartisan infrastructure bill, which would have been a really, you know, powerful talking point for Terry McCall if they had only passed it in the past two weeks, right? But instead, they're saying we won't pass it unless we get this social spending bill to build back better, passed at the same time. I think that they're—I think that this— I would think that they both know that they need to pass one of these bills and that one of them can wait. But at the end of the day, I also wonder if the momentum has been lost because there isn't another election coming up. Um, A lot of the moderates are going to say, hey, let's slow down for a second. We want a CBO score and we want to see how much the social spending bill is going to cost us and if it's going to cause inflation. And um, I think it's just, like, hurt the momentum of the social spending plan. It may help the momentum of the bipartisan infrastructure bill. But at the end of the day, they've got to get a grip on their uh, progressive caucus because I don't know that it necessarily represents the rest of the country. I mean, the Democrats really are pushing it with this really sweeping – these sweeping spending bills, considering that they don't really have the votes. I mean, the Senate is split. They got maybe three to five votes in the House at max, um, the country really voted for a moderate governance um, in the 2020 election. Like they're what they weren't voting for sweeping progressive change. If they were, then the Democrats would have to vote, and so they wouldn't have to do this through reconciliation, and they wouldn't be scrapping along and, and having this sort of infighting because you know one or two members can change the whole game. Um, and I just think like maybe Cinema and Mansion are actually more reflective of where the country is right now even though they've been painted as like the boogeyman in the Democratic Party by sort of pumping the brakes on these really big spending bills and, and, and making it and taking a look at, at what's actually inside and how it's going to affect the country. Uh, Tara, I think you're 100 percent right. I think that if, if the Democrats, if they want a secret to success, it's what Manchin's been talking about. It's what Eric Adams ran on. They're center left, but they're not alienating. When you hear AOC, when you hear the squad talk, mm-hmm. whether you agree with them or not, that's not where the country is. The country is not looking for Queens to lead them. I live about 20 right. miles from Queens. Queens does not have the pulse <laughs> of the people. Uh, believe me, I'm not saying she's not talented, not charismatic, but she is not does not understand where the country's at, clueless where the Midwest is at. Eric Adams seemed to understand that law and order matters. Cori Bush is still pulling for the end of the police so and called called joe manchin basically arrested a racist and sexist for not going for this bill so that type of stuff um, the american people are fed up with but i want you to hear uh what senator warner said yesterday to neil cavuto cut 25 
I wasn't surprised at all by what Joe Manchin said yesterday. It's what he's been telling me. It's what he's been telling, I think, everybody. I also agree that, candidly, we should have voted for the bipartisan infrastructure deal back in September uh, when it first came up. I think that would have helped the president. I think it would have helped uh, Terry McAuliffe in Virginia. I think it would have actually shown uh, the economy in terms of relief on whether it be roads and bridges long term or broadband or resiliency. Well, why didn't he speak up? Why did Joe Manchin have to do this alone with Kristen Sinema? If he felt like that, why don't you stand up and say, hey, House, pass this. Don't hold it hostage to your left wing agenda. I mean, the problem is that Manchin has a lot of supporters actually within the Senate, a lot of moderate Democrats that actually agree with him that that he's just become the spokesperson for them. And I think um, I think they know that, too. I don't they just don't have the votes in the Senate. And that's the problem. And none of these moderates in the House want to vote on this bill and take these hard votes um, and then, you know, have that on the record if they can't pass it in the Senate. And I just think. This is going to be the problem of the Democratic Party. There, are, there is a progressive caucus that is essentially directing the national party when really the country doesn't reflect that. And there's really, you know, they're, they're going to keep having these problems until Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer can get their, their, their progressives in line. And I don't, I don't know that that's ever going to happen because they'd rather see the whole thing burn down than, than – because for them – Instead of seeing it as, okay, this is actually progress, it might be a smaller bill, but it's more than what we had before, they're risking losing everything to not get the entire full, you know, platter that they wanted. And I don't know, I just think this is going to be a really interesting next few weeks. I mean, do they, I think the Democrats are going to go one way or the other. They're either going to go really hard to the left and try to pass this really sweeping bill, or they're going to go to the opposite side and they're going to gut the bill and the, the, the social spending bill. And I think that they will ultimately pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill, regardless of what happens. Uh, wow, that would be a huge walk back uh, for the squad and the left wing who said, no, not one without the other, including the president of the United States, after he got it in a press conference, said, yeah, we got the other bill that goes going to run with it. And he had to quickly walk that back. Uh, it's been uh, it's been a crazy 10 months. And then and the the, uh, the voters sent a big message last night. Great to talk to you, Tara. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay. Great. All right. Uh, Inside Politico's playbook. Just to, just there. Meanwhile, we come back. Your turn. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Keep in mind the president of the Freedom Fighter. It was available as of yesterday. Uh, I appreciate if you want to go order it and get it personally signed. It goes to my local bookstore, and I show up and sign it and personalize it for the holidays. Also, there's going to be a special November 7th, 10 o'clock at night at the News Channel. Uh, Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, that battle to save America's soul. It's a story in American history that really applies today. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Just a quick reminder, I have a virtual signing today. Carly Shimkin is going to interview me, but you want to be a part of it. Uh, it's for my book, The President of Freedom Fighter. Ask any questions you want. It's a really cool setup. It was really flourished during the pandemic for different authors or events. 
and you people instead of giving speeches would do it this way. So you go to BrianKilme.com, just click on virtual uh, uh, virtual session, and it'll just direct you the right direction. So hopefully I'll have a chance to interact with you again, not just on the radio show. But let's find out for now uh, about the President Freedom Fighter, about Frederick Douglass Abraham Lincoln and the battle to save America's soul. Or you can just order the book, BrianKilme.com. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. Well, the Braves won the World Series. Game six. Got rid of the Astros. Seven nothing. It was a knockout. Braves win in six. Four games to two. Here's how it sounded. Left side. Swanson to first. The Braves are world champions. It's so uh, it's so great to hear the fans. By the way, uh, were booing the commissioner of baseball. Number one, they're Houston. They don't like him because they feel they cracked down when they cheated. But I thought they got really a pass when they were found to have cheated, calling the signals about three years ago. Number two, uh, Manfred pulled the All Star game out of Atlanta because he said he didn't like Georgia's new election laws and put it in Colorado. So he denied all those small business owners the push. And the, the, the money, the influx of tourist dollars, which have been starved to death because of the pandemic. And then they go ahead and get it back in the World Series. So uh, there is some justice there. Next. One spouse can work from anywhere. The other can't. So they live apart. Uh, there you go. After being penned up at home for a year, Jen Ali Nortman couldn't wait to travel when she got vaccinated. That was just one problem. Her husband has been called back into his office in Virginia Beach. So in September, with the couple's uh, nearly two-year-old Emery in tow, she flew to Europe without him after visiting her parents in Cyprus. The 26-year-old Nortman, who also owns her own marketing firm, began working remotely from the Portuguese surfing town uh, while her husband, who's 30, kept up his old life at home. Would you ever do that? Um... <laughs> Pre-kids, I'd probably, you know, like, hey, if you're going to be home, I might go away for a month. But would that fly in your household? Hey, Dawn, I'm going to go travel for six months. See you later. Nope. Next, NBA's Ennis Cantor continues to put the screws to China. The center from the Celtics said this. We must do everything we can to help free Hong Kong. We must support Hong Kongers and their struggle for freedom. Yes, and you got to look at his shoes, too. He's got these shoes designed by this Chinese dissident who they will kill if they find. That says, free Hong Kong. Pull the games from the Olympics. He, uh, uh, he, an excellent source told me that he's getting a lot of pressure from the league to stop wearing those shoes. But he also called out LeBron James for saying, and Nike, why are you doing business with a country that puts Muslims into concentration camps and harvests their organs? Wants Hong Kong free. This guy's got great courage. Uh, thanks for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeadeshow.com or to the podcast. Listen anytime, anywhere. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we're going to be visited by Newt Gingrich. Got a brand new book out, Beyond Biden, Rebuilding the America We Love. Seth Barron, author of the new book, The Last Days of New York, a reporter's true tale. But does Seth have more hope now that uh, the de Blasio era is about to come crashing to a close? And Carly Shimkus will be with me. Why? 
I'm doing a live signing today for the President and Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and the Battle to Save America's Soul, which we did save. Uh, Carly read the book, too, watched the special. She's going to be interviewing me on a live signing. So I want you to go to briankillme.com, click on live signing, and just register. This is where we can interact and have a good time in this era this era of the pandemic. It's important. And tonight, I'll be in Manhasset at Publicans, all right on Plan Dome Road. Come visit, and we'll be able to sign books and take pictures. And then uh, tomorrow, I'll be in Staten Island at the Barnes & Noble in the mall in Staten Island. I believe there's only one. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I wasn't surprised at all by what Joe Manchin said yesterday. It's what he's been telling me. It's what he's been telling, I think, everybody. I also agree that, candidly, we should have voted for the bipartisan infrastructure deal back in September uh, when it first came up. I think that would have helped the president. Yeah, Senator Warner, now you say they should have passed the 1.2, but you let Joe Manchin twist by himself? State of the spending bills. Dems turn their ire on Manchin, but should their results push them to just pass the bipartisan bill? Then had 69 votes in the Senate. We'll talk about it. Number two. It is not a good idea to keep telling Americans that America is systemically racist. And you see this anti-woke rebellion. The Democrats want to say it's all about critical race theory and that that's a misnomer. It's about everything so much broader than that. And it's bringing Republicans back in the suburbs where Republicans have been losing. Ari Fleischer is making a lot of sense. The reason behind the resurgence for Republicans up and down the ticket across the country, here's a hint. It begins but doesn't end with the performance of President Biden. Inept and at times indifferent and detached from the needs of the American people and the impact of their, of their ridiculous policies. Number one. It's our moment for parents, for grandparents to change the future of Virginia's children's lives. It's our time to turn that vision into a reality. We're going to embrace our parents, not ignore them. Uh, Governor-elect Glenn Youngkin. Yup, it's a run for glory for the GOP. As Youngkin leads the conservative army into office, maybe New Jersey is next. It is now still too close to call on a race in a bright blue state. There was supposed to be a walk for Governor Murphy. Joining me now, Newt Gingrich, Fox News contributor, former Speaker of the House, knows all about wave elections. Uh, he's also the author of a brand new book, Beyond Biden, Rebuilding the American We Love. Newt, did already the American people getting beyond Biden? Are they looking past this tent, this, this presidency 10 months old? Well, I don't think they can get beyond him until he's gone. But I think I didn't write an anti-Biden book because I think Biden is so anti-Biden that it would have been uh, sort of superfluous. It's a little bit, one of the bellwethers people haven't focused on yet, there's a, a independent truck driver in New Jersey who spent $153. And in, and in the process, uh, defeated the state Senate president. Uh, he's, you know, who spent thousands and thousands of dollars because people were just angry. And I think what you're seeing is, uh, whether it's Virginia or, Frankly, election results in, in uh, San, San Antonio, where we picked up a 73 percent Hispanic district uh, that went Republican for state legislature in a special election all around the country. People get it that big government socialism doesn't work, that it causes them pain, that they disagree with its values. And so I wanted to write a book a little bit like the Youngkin campaign, which focused on the future of Virginia. It didn't focus uh, essentially on, on uh, what happened with the governor uh, it, it, but it, until he made the mistake 
of saying parents should not be involved in their child's education. But even then, the fight was really, uh, with McAuliffe, was really about key principles. It wasn't about personality. And I think uh, beyond Biden is is a real serious effort on my part to say, look, we have big challenges starting with communist China and with, the, with reforming our school system and with controlling the border. You are down a list. And those challenges are going to be there when Biden leaves, which will be, I believe, in 24. Um, so when we win in 22, which I think we will win a huge election, we need to start having positive solutions that move us in the direction of making life better for everyday people. And that people can look at and say, yeah, that's working. Because the number one thing you know about big government socialism is it ain't working. Um, Costa filled up her car last night, my wife, Costa, and cost her 72 bucks. Well, that ain't working. You look at the number of of illegal immigrants. That's not working. Uh, You look at our military's inability to implement things. That's not working. So I think the the whole thematic of it's not working is real uh, and is – something that we want to replace with positive ideas. This is the whole point of Beyond Biden, to find solutions that are working, that people can say, you know, I like that because, in fact, it works. So, Newwood, you you guys probably sit behind these back rooms and try to find issues that will relate to everyone in the country. Joe Biden stumbled into one, and which would you just discussed inflation, and then you have the then you have the supply chain shortage. So it doesn't matter if you watch television, what channel you watch, what radio show you watch, which book you read. You go shopping, and everything's changed. It's more expensive, or it's empty. You fill up your tank like Calista did, seventy two dollars when it used to be fifty, and then when you go around and at, try to find out where Clorox is, they say, well, that's going to be delayed. And then when you have Christmas presents to grandchildren, you find out it's not going to come. So in a short period of time, people were all affected by a man whose policies he put in place and is indifferent to solve the problem. Yeah, well, it doesn't have a clue about how to solve I just did a podcast uh, at Newt's World with an economist who was talking about uh, her, two, her two children and thinking about buying things for Christmas and trying to get ahead of the curve. And because she's an economist, she really understands how screwed up the supply chain is. Uh, and she said, this is a real problem. And you, you tend to have two things. Either you can't get it or it costs a lot more. Uh, and uh, those two factors, I think, uh, are making people unhappy. But it's deeper than that. Uh, we have schools where nobody learns. Uh, we have five five schools in, in Baltimore City where not a single student could pass the state exam. That's a disaster for the children. It's a disaster for the country. Uh, you can't possibly compete with communist China if you if you don't have people who can, you know, read and write and do a decent job and understand the work ethic. So I think uh, when you go around the country, and you know this because you travel a lot and you, you see people and you're really good at interviewing people, and you know that around the country, in real-life terms, people know that uh, this current big government system is not working. The other thing is, when you say beyond Biden, who's next? I mean, if Democrats are going to have to put somebody up, they thought they might have somebody in Murphy if he won convincingly in New Jersey. You know, Newsom had to hold on to his job, got recalled in an embarrassing fashion. I guess he could try to run for presidency. But, I mean, Kamala Harris has proven totally incompetent. So who is next on the other side? Who, If you're a Democrat, how do you get beyond Biden? Well, I don't think they do, uh, because 
Biden, you know, Biden is, uh, despite his personal weaknesses, you know, he's not a dynamic leader. He wasn't a dynamic leader when he was younger, and he's sure not going to become a dynamic leader when he falls asleep in public. Uh, so Biden is not going to be the solution. Kamala Harris' great function in life is, is to make us grateful that Biden is there, uh, because the idea of Kamala Harris as president is truly horrifying. I mean, this is a person who knows nothing. Uh, and, and proves it almost every time she shows up in public. Um, I think they have a challenge. Uh, whether or not they know they have a challenge is a different question, because one of the great problems with, with the Democratic Party today is that it's very isolated from the real world. They get in rooms and talk to themselves. Uh, the House is virtually a Pelosi dictatorship. Uh, they're not uh, supposed to be thinking. They're just supposed to be voting the way she tells them to. Uh, the Senate is a mess. Uh, you know, I mean, there are lots of ambitious people, I'm sure, who are out there. But but you you start thinking about, you know, Gavin Newsom, who I'm sure would think of himself as a candidate because he's got all the huge fundraising capacity of a California governor. Um, you've got a number of other people out there who would, would like to think of themselves as future leaders. But the problem they've got is they're now trapped into this big government socialism in the country. We did, we did a survey. You're exactly right. We have a project called the American Majority Project, and we do a ton of uh, focus groups and surveys. Uh, and when asked whether you prefer uh, big government socialism or free enterprise capitalism, by 59 to 16, people prefer free market capitalism to big government socialism. Now, that, that is a means that about one out of every six people favor the philosophy that currently dominates the Democratic Party, one out of six. And I don't think they can get out from under it. I think uh, the long journey that began with George McGovern has finally reached its natural consequence. And the dominant wing of the Democratic Party today is hard left. Uh, you know, Mansion and cinema, in a sense, are, are uh, the last stand of the old order, and they would be smart to switch parties because they're never going to have a positive impact in the Democratic Party. Right, uh, unless they keep losing. If they start losing everything, they'll be forced to be more like Manchin, more like what Eric Adams ran on, which my fingers are crossed he'll govern like. But when you mentioned this, you mentioned this yesterday, and I didn't know about it. I did reverse forensics. Here is what Kamala Harris was asked to come to Virginia and help out Yunkin. First, she cut a tape and put it into 300 black churches, which I didn't think was allowed. I thought politics had to stay out to keep the tax-exempt status. But then she said this when she went off teleprompter. Every four years when this election happens for governor of Virginia, it's a tight election, it's a close election, and it is a bellwether for what happens in the rest of the country. What happens in Virginia will in large part determine what happens in 2022, 2024, and on. So I, I think she's right. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm urging the Republican National Committee to take that videotape. We're actually sending it out as a tweet. Uh, and I'm doing both a podcast today and a newsletter on the election results. And I will be cheerfully saying that I agree with Kamala Harris, that I, I absolutely agree with the vice president when she said that the results of Virginia tell you what's going to happen in 22 and 24. And she's right. They're going to get crushed. Uh, and remember that the Youngkin didn't just win. You now have the first African-American uh, statewide elected official in Virginia. And, of course, you always knew it would be a Republican. 
And it's a Republican woman who actually immigrated from Jamaica, served in the American military, uh, is very, very smart and, and competent. Uh, we also have an attorney general uh, of Cuban uh, background. So you have a uh, Latino, African-American, traditional uh, white Republican ticket that's won the state. They also picked up control of the assembly. And I think that's a harbinger of what's coming. Uh, I think that, uh, first of all, because I do believe that, that big government socialism inevitably fails because it's anti-human and anti-the way normal people operate. And the result is going to be this will all get worse, just as it did with Jimmy Carter. Uh, and we will, I think, by the fall of 2022, uh, be looking at potentially a 40 to 70 seat pickup in the House wow. and probably a four seat gain in the Senate. And that'll then set the stage if we do it right. If, we, if we're prepared to have, as, as Youngkin did, if we're prepared to have positive ideas, if the um, House and the Senate will work with the Republican governors who had tons of good ideas and Republican state legislators who had many good ideas that are actually working. It's what we did in 94. We went to Wisconsin, Michigan, and Virginia. And that's how we ended up uh, in a position that we were able to, to, for example, do welfare reform. We had three states that had already done it. So it wasn't a theory. We knew how to how to put that together. And that's that's got to be the positive, right. problem-solving, make-things-work attitude Republicans take in. Then we'll win a crushing victory in, tw- in, in 24. Uh, Newt Gingrich, you, you laid it out. Uh, beyond Biden, it's all there. Rebuilding the America we love. Congratulations on the book, Newt, Mr. Speaker. Great, great talking to you. All right, always. one 408 I'll come back with your calls. Bottom of the hour, Inside New York Politics, the author of The Last Days of New York. How does Seth Barron feel about Eric Adams as mayor? Can he bring back this city? We'll talk about it. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to the Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of the story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Several unions have been, in my view, downright unpatriotic the way they've handled this because they have put their own internal politics ahead of the needs of the people. That is Mayor de Blasio uh, just saying it's unpatriotic not to get a vaccine. That's a new one. Unpatriotic not to get a vaccine. Meanwhile, was it unpatriotic when the fire department, when the sanitation, when the cops were working through the pandemic in the eye of the storm in New York City? Was that patriotic? I think so. The last person you should be calling unpatriotic are cops and firefighters and sanitation workers as well as EMTs. I'm pretty sure that's the great political instincts of Mayor de Blasio. Why? We're losing thousands of them, as well as hundreds of military members, the Air Force First, who don't want to get a vaccine. They, uh, they're anti-mandate, or they have other reasons. They are not going to get the vaccine. So, therefore, uh, they have been told not to come to work. COVID cases are down significantly. We are two-thirds vaccinated as a country for 12 and up. So he called union leaders and said it's unpatriotic. Instead of calling union leaders and saying, how do we work this out? 
Now, also in New York, I think it's important to, uh, to point out the vaccination rate among the branches. For example, 40 uh, they're, they're 84% vaccinated among cops. They're 81% vaccinated among firefighters and even further vaccinated among sanitation workers. They just don't have 100%. There's no reason to panic. In San Francisco, a new release says that 97.5% of its employees, that's 2,747 out of 2,817, fully vaxxed. The department did not explicitly say how many employees were placed on leave and how many have received exemptions, but noted that those who are not fully vaccinated, who did not provide vaccination records, were placed on leave, permanent, uh, leaving uh, permanently uh, pending permanent termination proceedings. Really, 40 Air Force Service members discharged after they failed to get a COVID vaccine. Many more are lined up. Just watch until they tell your kids because the Pfizer vaccine's been okayed. Just watch before they tell your kids, don't go to school unless you're vaccinated. And then you got to figure out how to do that. I don't envy any of them, any of you out there. Uh, I will say this. You got to, you don't hear this anywhere. Florida has the least cases in the country. In 40 states, the cases are going down. Yet, when Joe Biden came out and said uh, this Thanksgiving is going to be a lot better than last Thanksgiving, well, maybe for you. But if you're looking at pure cases and deaths, the numbers were down more last year, not this year. But that doesn't affect you. That is Joe Biden. Uh, who just makes up facts, and then he has Jen Psaki correct it. The problem with Jen Psaki, she has the coronavirus. So she won't be able to do it. So we'll see who steps up to actually straighten out the story. But uh, this is something that's totally unnecessary in my view. When we come back, I'm going to talk to Seth Barron about the future of New York uh, because he does know this city. He's been working the beat forever. And then we'll have Carly Shimkison. Carly's going to be interviewing me on a live signing at 2.30. The pregame will be here. We'll talk about the president and the freedom fighter on sale now. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We are so divided right now. And we're missing the beauty of our diversity. Today, we take off the intramural jersey and we put on one jersey, Team New York. And there you go. That's with some of the Eric Adams message after, as expected, beat Curtis Sliwa. He is the next mayor of New York. Will he be able to turn the city around? What is he up against besides a deficit and taking over a city that was with really without a legitimate leader for eight years? Somebody who showed up late to everything, had absolutely no vision, and his main decree was let's, uh, uh, let's stop policing, uh, let's stop stop and frisk, and whatever we do, uh, let's make sure we defund the police. And he took about a billion dollars out of the budget. Seth Barron, author of the book, The Last Days of New York, a reporter's true tale, joins us now. Seth, what kind of mayor do you think Eric Adams will be? Well, you know, Brian, it's a really great question, and I've been puzzling that over and looking at his record and trying to get a good sense of that. And, you know, I have to say he's making some of the right noises. I mean, he's saying day one he's going to stop the street violence. But at the same time, he said he's on the same page as the new Manhattan D.A., 
who doesn't want to send anyone to jail and doesn't want to prosecute shoplifting and doesn't want to arrest people carrying guns. So I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough question to answer. Uh, I feel like there's some contradictions in his record, uh, and we're going to have to wait and see. There's major problems in New York City, and it's going to take a real leader to straighten them out. Well, when you talk about contradictions, if you talk to the police officer, you talk to police commissioners, Ray Kelly and company, they have a lot of doubts. He was always challenging them uh, from the ranks, correct? That's exactly right. His entire career within the NYPD, from cadet to captain, he would complain about the, the, the police leadership, complain about racism. Uh, that was his entire his entire time on the force, uh, he, he just waged, and, you know, he, he made a big deal about uh, being Al Sharpton's bodyguard and claiming that, uh, you know, the NYPD assassinates black leaders. He, you know, the thing about Eric Adams is and through the 90s, he was always referred to as a loose cannon by the Post and the Daily News. He, you know, he was considered an erratic guy. Uh, so... You know, whether he's going to really be a great leader and inspire the police to, you know, step up and really fight crime, I, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a tough question. It's interesting. He went to the Mayor, Dubois, Mayor Bloomberg's mayor class. They have, like, mayor school where mayors from around the country are uh, aspiring or sitting and tell them how to organize this. Uh, the over at Hopkins sponsors it. And I was talking to Mayor Bloomberg, and he said he was very impressed— he was very impressed with Eric Adams. They, they would talk two and three times a week. The one thing about Bloomberg, he was organized, correct? Oh, certainly. Bloomberg was like, you know, had, had a mania for organization. Uh, I'm not so sure. That, I mean, Eric Adams couldn't even organize his taxes and then claimed that the reason he had to keep restating them was because his accountant was homeless. So I don't know if his personal finances are entrusted to like a homeless accountant. I'm not I'm not so sanguine about how he's going to manage our finances. Oh, the thing is, we, he is looking at a deficit, even though he got a big payout from the federal. Uh, de Blasio got a big payout from the federal government, correct? That's absolutely right. De Blasio, you know, they, they saved his bacon by giving him billions to play with. Uh, you know, it doesn't look like the feds are going to be showering Eric Adams with tons of money soon. And he's already said that he doesn't want to, like, pursue savings in retiree health care which is really a low-hanging fruit. So, I, you know, he's going to face service cuts or, uh, you know, municipal layoffs or something because the tax situation is not looking great. The other thing he, he's got to do is uh, handle crime, I mean, and try to get tourism back. Does he have a plan to do that? Will Stop and Frisk come back? I would highly doubt that Stop and Frisk will come back. Uh, and, you know, frankly, it can't because there's a federal monitor uh, in charge of the NYPD stop and frisk policies. The one thing Eric Adams could do is uh, resurrect the the anti-gang unit, the anti-crime unit, which was tasked with going out and, like, really aggressively getting guns off the street. He's going to have to do something because, you know, tourists are not going to be coming back to see Jersey Boys or whatever in Times Square when there's constantly shootings, mugging, stabbings, just, you know, all the— and the subways are also a mess. So, yes, he's going to have to start getting all of that straightened out day one. The mandate mania that we're seeing now that has over 80 percent of sanitation workers, cops and firefighters, for the most part, vaccinated. The ones aren't well, on paid leave. 
Adams has not indicated whether he's going to follow through on this. What do you think? Well, look, it's going to be a staffing crisis. Uh, if you have 20% of cops, firemen, and sanitation workers, like on, you know, basically furloughed, uh, although I think they can keep their health care, uh, you know, it's just going to put a strain on everybody else. I mean, look what's happened at Rikers with the corrections officers. You're going to have major, major uh, troubles. And then more. Then it's just going to feed on itself, and you'll have more people doing sick outs and all kinds of things. So he's going to have to figure something out with that. I mean, here's the numbers. Uh, 91% of firefighters vaccinated. The NYPD got at least one shot, 85%. Sanitation's 83%. So, so far, we are watching daily press conferences and marches in the street where people saying, I'm not going to get vaccinated. I got it already. Let me make my own decision. I'm pro-vaccine, but not pro-mandate. So uh, he's got an ongoing catastrophe on his hands because how many hours do you want these firefighters to work? Over the weekend, when I came in on Monday, there was not one pail that wasn't overflowing uh, into the streets. It's a mess. It's a real mess. And, you know, losing 10, 20 percent of your headcount is uh, it's untenable. I mean, they're, they're going to have to start paying tons of overtime, uh, mandating Sunday pickup, all kinds of things. Uh, yeah, he's going to have to work this out. So uh, we're talking to Seth Barron, author of the book, The Last Days of New Yorker Reporters, True Tale. And Seth wrote this when we thought Governor Cuomo is not only going to be running for reelection, maybe even lining up to run for president. Seth, can you put in perspective the epic fall of Governor Cuomo and now the fight with the attorney general who wants to run for governor, him saying it's pure politics and she's saying, the fellow Democrat, uh, she's saying we have the affidavits and and, uh, a lot of proof about the sexual harassment? Listen, uh, Cuomo was puffed up so much that he had to have a big fall. Uh, You know, the, the, the adulation that he received was so absurd that, um, you know, it had to, it had to pop. Uh, this seems like it's it all just smacks of uh, absolutely. It was a Democratic hit job. And I'm not saying he didn't deserve it. But, you know, I mean, clearly this was uh, this was arranged from within. And sure, I think Tish James has always had her eye on the. Um, on the Seth, I don't know mansion. how you could say that. How do you get 12 women to accuse him of harassment? I mean, are they getting paid? I mean, I'm saying, like, I'm not saying they're being paid, but you can get people to come forward and, you know, oh, he did this, he did that. I, look, I'm not saying he's not a sleazy guy, but at each of those taken by themselves, you know, does it rise to the level of, like, I mean, it's, I'm not even sure it rises to the level of what Al Franken got in trouble for. Yeah, Al Franken in New York thinking about running and primarying uh, uh, Senator Gillibrand. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to see what happened in Long Island, but it seems like Republicans did exceedingly well, including the Nassau County, uh, the Nassau County supervisor, Laura Curran, who we thought was popular, is now out. Bruce Blakeman's now in. Brad Blakeman's a contributor here, former uh, Bush official. Uh, there's a there's a movement going on here, isn't there? Oh, I would say so. Look, the Dems have completely blown it. They no longer have Trump to pick around. In New York, they passed uh, the bail reform which is driving the, the Democrats on Long Island crazy because, you know, their, their constituents are, are furious. Uh, there's a major problem that the Democrats have nationwide, they, and especially in New York. They've been pushing a radical progressive agenda that people aren't really interested in. So it's a, um, 
you know, yeah, I, I mean, they're suffering. Yeah. And then the economy is, is falling apart. So, sure, between crime and the economy, which they and they own all of this. So and then, you know, critical race theory. Yeah. I, you know, things aren't looking great for them. Let's put it that way. Well, let's see if uh, Eric Adams is going to go center right rather than uh, center left rather than way left like so many people surrounding the president of the United States. Seth, we'll look forward to seeing maybe in the paperback this new Eric Adams addendum to the last days of New York. Appreciate it. I hope so. Thank you, Brian. All right. Uh, meanwhile, uh, when we come back, Coley Shimkus is going to be joining me on a live signing of The President and Freedom Fighter where you can interact with me and we can talk about the book. You can text me. Go to briankillme.com and register. We're going to kind of preview that now. I gave her the screener on the special that airs on Sunday, November 7th. And I also had her, gave her the book, and she's read it. Now, the question is, did she actually take notes as she remembered? Because she's so busy. She's got a brand-new show. Is she so caught up in her own life that she can't focus on my life? We'll find out when we return. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. As flawed as America was for the African-American, as brutal as the African-American experience was early, he wanted to make the country better. He didn't want another country. I think that's the part that people don't know about Frederick Douglass. He wanted to make his stand here, almost in biblical terms. He saw the promise of America, which is hard to do when you're being beaten. So Douglass's gift was he never let the slave owners own him not just physically in the showdown, but emotionally, spiritually, he transcended it. And he did through education, and that's part of the message I hope you get from the President of Freedom Fighter out yesterday. Uh, it's Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and the battle to save America's soul. We talk about how they, uh, how they grew up, the circumstances in which Frederick Douglass born into slavery, and then on the other side, Abraham Lincoln, uh, two illiterate parents. Mom dies at the age of nine. You know what he accomplished uh, arguably our greatest president, certainly the most impactful, was there at the right time. Carly Shimkus has been kind enough to do me a huge favor. Today at 2.30 Eastern time, uh, around the country, anybody can have the chance to log on, briankillme.com, just click on book tour and just says uh, live signing, and they'll just bring you through it very easy, register. And you're going to get a chance, and I'm going to get a chance uh, to sit down. We're going to talk about the book, right? That's right. I, well, first of all, I think it's an honor that you asked me. Really? Not, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank um, you. This is a book that you've been working on for how long? Two years? Yeah. Uh, and I read it. Uh, the amazing thing is, and I promise everybody that's listening right now, you will have the same experience. First of all, it's a great book. I learned so much. And you read it in Brian's voice. I mean, your, your, your voice has been in my head right. for the last week as I was writing the book. I don't want to give away too much, and we're obviously going to talk about it during the live book signing, but can I say yeah. one of my favorite things about the book? Um, you, first of all, Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln are two people that, although they lived in the, the same time, um, they are so different, and yet they are so similar. And you weave the stories of their lives brilliant, brilliantly together, where you spend one chapter on Abraham Lincoln, you get lost in the chapter, you forget that the book is about another man as well, that chapter ends, and then there's a pickup chapter with Frederick Douglass, and you see the similarities back to back in how these two men... Uh, one who was born poor, Abraham Lincoln, but he was obviously free. 
Frederick Douglass, who was born a slave, had it much more difficult, but he also had this equal drive to learn and how they're such similar people, uh, despite how different they were in terms of uh, how they grew up. And it's really interesting how you do that. And, you know, so one other thing uh, they have in common, this Colombian orator. And in this book, it's a collection of great speeches and thinkers from Plato to Washington. And separately, there was such a thirst for them to learn that they took this book and they digested it. And what happens is, and what goes to the fundamentals of this issue we're talking about now, education, if you give somebody education, then they open up their minds and they're going to want to learn more. But if you don't, they're shut down and there's a frustration. It's almost unfair. I think that is divine. I think that was designed by God. I really do. Because these two people... Uh, change the course of history for the better. Slavery is the greatest evil of all time. But the fact that they were reading this, even the same book, and that they they had this draw for for knowledge, and that when they finally met, they were both equally impressed with each other, and they wanted to get to know each other, um, is fascinating. And I don't think that that is something that you could just say is fate. Right. I think it was by some sort of uh, you know divine uh, design. Um, can you um, explain what their meeting was like? Oh, yeah. I mean, when they first met, which uh, which has really sold me on the book, is when Frederick Douglass wrote it down. So it wasn't someone chronicled how they met, and this is what Frederick Douglass told me. These are the quotes that are in his own book because Frederick Douglass, years after, gets, I think seven years after he's free, writes his biography and then keeps updating his biography and becomes a best-selling author. And then Ireland, England, Germany said, hey, we'd like you to come visit. Yeah. And there are statues in Germany, in London, and we just got uh, from – do you know the guy across the street uh, from Longacre, um, Tom, mm-hmm. the owner of the Longacre bar restaurant on 47th, he went to Ireland, and he, I told him about the book, and he sent me back pictures of Frederick Douglass's statue in Ireland wow. from when he spoke there. That's how much he meant there. I'm so glad that you brought up the fact that he went to Ireland, because one of the incredible things about Frederick Douglass is that he could have stayed there. Yeah, oh, and yeah. he could have gotten away from it all. But what was his mindset like? Uh, his mindset was come back and fix the country. I left my family there. Number one, he had he, he was able to marry a free black woman. They met in they met in Maryland, but they escaped and they ended up meeting re meeting in New York, uh, settling down. He became a caulker on the docks while reading. He was so enraptured by learning. While he was working on the docks, he would nail in newspapers and pamphlets. So while he was working, he was able to look up and read at the same time and then learn to speak and motivate and have his own what I think is like a Bible study because other African-Americans would meet with him and he'd talk and he'd start honing his skills. Because if you read The Columbian Orator, it is almost like the Dale Carnegie horse had, course of how to win friends and influence people. It tells you how to speak. tells you how to project. tells you how to stand. tells you how to make eye did contact. You read, did convince. you read the book? To so I downloaded the book. I downloaded wow. the book, and I have it. I'll show it to you. But my iPad at 12 o'clock is out of power, which is unbelievable. Well, not, not. Uh, I was going to show it to you. But you see these little essays from Washington to Plato. So And he put it down, and, and they would talk about this. But when you read about somebody's philosophy like Julius Caesar, he thinks to himself, I'm stuck in Maryland on an on a open field working 12 hours a day for zero wages. I'm on the docks working next to white guys who get to keep their money and I got to go give it to my slave master. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying that's the way it is, he says, I know that's not the way it is. So at 18, 19, he's plotting his, his exit. Yeah. Uh, there must be a reason why you chose to hone in on these two people uh, right now. In 2021, why is that? Well, a couple of things. Why it relates. I can't believe how much news is interacted with history. And 
Why it relates now is the 1619 project that rolled out a few years ago that now I said, well, that's a series. It's going to get awards, but man, it's so inaccurate. And then next thing you know, it's part of curriculums in schools. And guess what we're talking about? We're talking today that if you run a race and you have, and you're critical of critical race theory, you are now a racist. Yeah. Really? You want to know racism? I'll give you racism. Let's go 1-800-1849. Yeah. Did you hear? I did go. Well, absolutely. And did you hear what Joy Reid said last night uh, during their election coverage? Has she said that this race um, in Virginia um, was about education. And then she said education also known as white parents who don't want kids to learn about race, which is just, I mean, the ultimate mischaracterization of what actually happened. Absolutely. So today the live signing, Carly and I are going to have a chance to talk for an hour. I get on people's nerves, so she's going to be stuck with me for at least an (laughs) hour. She has nowhere to go. So I want you to join me. Go to briankilme.com, click on book tour, live signing. You'll register and we'll be able to interact and get your feedback on a book I hope you've already bought. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.